unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm terrific. How are you? I'm fantastic, and we have a very special surprise lined up for the listeners today, so I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. Yes, I'm thrilled that our guest today is Daniel Throssell, a very unconventional and highly successful copywriter from Perth, Australia. He's the driving marketing force behind the blockbuster best-selling book, The Barefoot Investor. Daniel has a slew of very impressive testimonials on his site. And to give you an idea about what other people in copywriting are saying about him, our friend Ben Settle calls Daniel one of Australia's top copywriters. Andrew Campbell, Harmon Brothers Ad Agency, writes, In my role, I work with some of the best writers in the world. And speaking to Daniel, he says, When I saw your copy, I knew you were one of the best, too. And our friend Justin Blackman characterizes Daniel this way. A wacky, wacky man of tremendous talent. There's one more person I'd like to mention in this intro, and that's Copywriters Podcast subscriber, Stuart Marmerstein. Stuart reached out to me personally on Facebook and recommended Daniel, and Stuart also helped the two of us get in touch. So, Stuart, thanks for that. He was particularly impressed by Daniel's parallel welcome sequence, which kind of takes the first email someone gets when they join your list and he turns what everyone else does on its head. And that's the first thing he's going to tell us about today, along with some highlights from his tremendous book launch. Oh, it just occurred to me, I have something to tell you today myself. We like to present you in the best light and then see where you actually land. No, I know you're going to do a great job. Let's talk about what you learned and how things went. I, I think it's like the best-selling book ever in Australia, and you were doing a lot of the marketing, the emails, the copy. But what you learned from that that has informed your own copy for your own business as a copywriter. Right. And so I, I don't want to take too much credit because the, the guy I worked with, Scott, who is the barefoot investor, he's a fantastic marketer. I learned very much from him. And in fact, that's probably what really did inform my own approach when I stopped writing for clients and writing for myself. Because one of the secrets behind the success of that book, and it was the best-selling book in Australian history, or it is currently, is that it's not all down to how we launched it or how we promoted it. It's the work that goes into uh, beforehand. And what I noticed that Scott had done for many years, I was a big fan of his before working with him. He would write a weekly column that went out in newspapers across Australia. And he was, he's this real family man, really genuine, down-to-earth guy, really epitomizes Aussie values. And, and people really like that. And he would always get really granular with stories about his life and his family and his kids and so on. And you always felt like you, you just really knew him. You could have a beer with him at the pub and you'd be really great friends with him. And when I was getting into copywriting, I didn't see too much of that in the copywriting world. They weren't talking about their family or their kids. There was a lot of wealth claims and showing off success and projecting this different kind of image and not so much of that personal side even the people who were doing it weren't telling you like, hey, I've got kids and you know, this is what my kids did today. And 
so that was really influential on, on my own style. And I eventually like saw Ben Settle, I think, is one of the greatest at it. And when I saw his infotainment style and the way he was kind of doing email differently to everyone else, it, it kind of clicked for me that you could put the two together. And if you could do this infotainment and also have this thing where you are really open about your personality and yourself over the long term so that your reader feels like they really know you, who you are, and they could have a meal with you, I thought that would work really well. And so that has probably been the core of the approach I've taken for my emails for the last few years. And it's been really successful. That sounds really good. So do you want to talk a little bit more specifically now about the parallel welcome sequence? Sure. So one of the things that I started doing with my emails was, you know, I wanted, there was this conflict when people join my list. This idea of being real to people means that you're generally not like preloading these things three months in advance. You know, some people do that. And that's a great strategy because, you know, if I get hit by a bus, there's big problems. But when you're loading things three months in advance, you can't be that real because you can't say, here's what I did today. Here's what happened in my life. And so there was this conflict for me with if I have this welcome series, the way that most people do it, that's like giving people all the fundamentals about me, they're staying away from my daily emails and they're not, they're getting canned stuff. And I think people can feel the difference between canned and fresh content. And then I saw someone talking about this email course you could take where you could click and get the next email on demand. And I thought, that's a fantastic idea. What if I did that for the welcome series? Then I could have this series <clears throat> that tells people, indoctrinates them, whatever you want, warms them up, but I don't have to have them waiting two weeks or so on to start getting to know the real live stuff. So I implemented this little feature where you click and you get the next email immediately. And people could go through and binge the whole thing in one day if they wanted. And that worked really well. And then I had this idea like, what if every time they click, they land on something different? Because originally it was just this page. It was like, congratulations, your next email is now in your inbox. So I thought, what if I customize those pages? And that ended up making this whole second journey for them. That as they go through the emails, if they're clicking, they're also landing on these web pages. And because they're more engaged, obviously, if they're clicking, they're reading, I decided to get a lot more out there. And I was telling, this is very weird. I hope you can forgive weird, but I was telling these crazy made up stories about this copywriting island. It's set on a copywriting island. And I have all these sorts of fantastical giant monsters that represent copywriting things that are trying to kill you. The guru, for example, he's a giant kangaroo that retargets you everywhere. So lots of things like that. Copywriting AI, these robots that attack the island. So a fun take on copywriting things. And you could go through that story in parallel. You're sort of zigzagging between the emails in that world as you click through. And it's worked really, really well. The engagement that I get from that is really off the charts. And some people sort of say, well, you know, it's not about engagement. It's about sales. But I'm not really trying for the sales in the first few days, which is probably a bit different to what most people do. What I want is people to say, hey, there's something different. There's something fresh about this. I'd like to read these emails. And over the long term, I build the relationship. So that's kind of how the parallel welcome sequence came about. Yeah. So I've seen those glowing testimonials on your website, most of them from established people in copywriting. Have you heard from your readers about the welcome sequence, about the copywriting island and the monsters? Do you ever get any comments about that? Oh, yeah. I get tons of them. They're just, they're not as eye catching to put on the website. 
you know, if, if you see Ben Settle or Kim Schwalm saying something, you're more likely to pay attention to it, I think. But oh, I have many people say, that, you know, I just joined your list and it's three hours later and I'm out of your welcome sequence and I haven't done anything else. Or they'll email me at 2 a.m. and say, I haven't been able to sleep because of you. And uh -huh. I'm a very selfish marketer, so I'm very happy about ruining their sleep for, for my marketing purposes. <laughs> It's a, you know, John Carlton always used to say, he, he, he always used to say he wants to ride the ad that like slaps him on the ass and they can't think of anything else that day or something like that. So that's a good thing for me. Yeah, that's terrific. I've had experiences like that. I remember a Dan Kennedy, I mean, this is a while ago, a Dan Kennedy sales letter and I read it and I said, I don't need this. I threw it in the wastebasket and I kept pulling it out of the wastebasket until I finally bought it. It was like same kind of idea, whether and it, it's not so much about whether you buy, it's, it's about whether you want to read what this guy says, because sooner or later, you're going to offer them something, I suppose. So that's pretty good. What about cooling leads down versus warming leads up? I, I think that you, you have a whole philosophy about that. And this was my thinking that when you are sending a traditional welcome sequence, you say, I'm going to send email one immediately. And I'm going to send email to 24 hours or 48 hours later. And I'm going to send email three, 48 hours after that. That is, I, I heard Ben Settle use this fantastic phrase. That is leading with the marketing and not the market. I love that phrase. And it, it's very focused on what I want to do and what I want to send them. And I've joined lists before where I got the first email and he said, in the next email, what's your inbox? I'm going to show you so-and-so. And I said, I want to read that right now. I'm here in my inbox. I'm ready to read it. I will read it if you sent it to me, but there was no way to get it. He was going to make me wait 24 hours. And by the time the second email came, I was busy. I didn't read that second email. And that marketer wasted that chance to warm me up. So my view is that most welcome sequences are really cooling your best hot leads down. They come in, they're excited. When you find someone new, you want to know more about them. It's like when people add a friend on Facebook and I don't know, I haven't used Facebook in years, but they go and read the whole page and look through all their photos. I think you want to capitalize on that. So the idea of the parallel welcome sequence was about warming those leads up. If I can get them reading for an hour or two when they first discover me, instead of reading a five minute email, I have a far better chance of having a relationship with that person in the future. And I think that's the core philosophy that underpinned why I did it compared to most traditional welcome series. Yeah, <clears throat> I have a few thoughts I'd like to share, and I bet Nathan does too. But let me get these out. First of all, it seems like more than anyone else I've talked to in copywriting, you've understood that time, attention, is the currency of 2021. And if you can get an hour of their attention up front, you've made an imprint on them that this is the guy who stopped you on a read. The second thing, and I think you mentioned this in our emails, you know, the industry jargon is VOD, uh, video on demand. It's Netflix. It's all the things where you can binge. I think that you've tapped into that. And before I ask my next question, Nathan, what do you want to say? I'm just sitting here listening to this and I'm having a trouble drawing a connection on how this is technically possible as far as when someone reads the second email, how do they not get sent the second email the next day? And I was, my technical part of my brain is not allowing me to go further into this conversation unless I understand that piece. Sure. If, if it's cool if I get technical on that just for 30 seconds. 
Mm-hmm. Um, every email is contained in its own campaign in the broadcast software. And I'm using Aweber right now, which is very basic in its campaign builder. So I think you can do this with anything. Every email sits in its own campaign and the campaign triggers the next campaign if the link is clicked or if 24 hours elapse. Either of those move you to the next campaign and remove you from the current campaign. So you won't get double sent the email. Okay, that's perfect. Okay, so let's talk about results because direct marketers always want to talk about results. Could you share whatever results you're comfortable sharing? Absolutely. So my entire approach is based over the long term. And like I said, that was founded from my days as a barefoot investor, seeing how he built something over a long period of time. And so I'm not really selling very hard in that first sequence. I do have, I put sales links on the interim pages because if people are clicking through, I actually characterize all my products as weapons that you're using against these giant copywriting monsters. Okay. So it's a bit of a world building game thing. And so people do click on those and buy, but I am so not focused on the short-term sale that I don't even segment my sales into in-welcome sequence or out of the welcome sequence. And frankly, I'm a bit slack on this. Maybe I should care more, but I just take a really holistic view of the business. I know anecdotally revenue went way up since I implemented that, but there is no way I could, it'll be a, a lie for me to drill down and say, because of the sequence, it's gone up. 30% or 50% or whatever. I know that it's been very good since, but I don't even split the sales before and after. I do know that the uh, email engagement and opens went up between 10 and 20% two weeks into the campaign, which I think, you know, it was my main goal. I wanted a higher stick rate of subscribers. I didn't want more sales in the first week. I wanted more subscribers to stay with me and not disengage from my emails. It achieved that. And the other point is it really cultivates those super fans. There's one in a hundred people maybe who go through and they just want everything I sell. They're like, this guy is different to everything else. I need that stuff. And the parallel welcome sequence is kind of, it's like 80-20 on steroids in a way. It's really targeted at those people. They are going to read every word of copy and I'm making it easier for them to see everything I sell at once. And so there are a few people that have gone through and spent several thousand dollars with me within two hours of finding me. And so I think that's a good result. It is. And again, I'm going to get a little philosophical with you here. We will get back to brass tacks soon. But it sounds like you're not building a list. It sounds more like you're creating a community. Is that true? You know, I haven't thought of it that way. I I always thought of it still as building a list. But there is certainly a difference in the approach in that I'm not even tracking the metrics I'm supposed to track like you know, ROI in the first 30 days or something. I'm just kind of looking at the list as a whole and it keeps my life simple. I suppose I could hire someone to do that for me, but I've just, it's working well enough was my philosophy. Maybe that's bad. Only if you say so. I mean, it sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded good to me too. I just didn't know if I meant to say something different on on the copywriters podcast. No, I mean, one of the things Nathan and I and most of our, yes, and most of our subscribers believe is copywriting is different from other forms of marketing in that you can measure it, in that you can tweak elements and and change. But I don't think you have to. I think if the gross number is working out and if you're 
customers or at least the super fans can't sleep until they spend several thousand dollars with you that's probably good enough i don't know i mean what do you think i'm pretty happy with that to be honest with you all right so you have some specific ways that you develop this bond with people in your copy and maybe you can share some of those and even give us examples if you like yeah and just so people know i've you know i've done a bunch of so they don't think i'm just some I don't know, email hippie who just doesn't track any sales. Go with the flow, man. I have done affiliate promotions that have gone really well. Okay, after this welcome sequence. So I am focused on the sales when that happens. And there are a few ways I think which have been effective. Again, the key is that when I'm in affiliate promotions, I have the same list as other people, but I don't have the same relationship with them. I have a much stronger bond with the people on that list. And so, yeah, there are a few ways that I'm doing that. The first one, and I think we've kind of hinted at it, is to take my weirdness and blow it up to the point of being ridiculous. Now, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, um, embrace your weirdness and so on. But then all they say is like, yeah, I, I like coffee. I drink way too much coffee. That's the, <laughs> you pick up the mug at the right time. <laughs> that's, so that's, what I, that's, that's the extent that I'm willing to be weird. But I'm older, more conservative, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. And no, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm talking about going further than that. So like, I will just go completely crazy like those fictional monsters I was talking to you about. And whenever I indulge that weird side of me, it brings out people who are like, that was so funny. That was so cool. I'll give you an example. In my welcome sequence, one of the emails is about should you use humor in copy? And it's based on arguments from uh, Claude Hopkins and David Ogilvy, who, who disagreed on that point, right? Ogilvy <laughs> said Hopkins was wrong or outdated. And most people might have quoted them and said, here's what this says. But I took that email and I titled it Copywriting Fight Club. And I told it in the form of this fictional boxing match between Claude Hopkins and David Ogilvy. I'll just read the lead to you so you get an idea. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> do I ever have a special bout lined up for you today? We've resurrected two of history's greatest ad men for a fight to the death. Well, the re-death. They're both already dead. In the red <laughs> corner, would you please give it up for the one, the only, Claude Hopkins, the father of modern advertising. The crowd goes wild as a short old man with a white mustache throws off his gown to reveal a wrinkled old torso. He boxes the air a few times and yells, We're going to do this advertising match the scientific way, suckers. And in the blue corner, Challenging Mr. Hopkins for the title, we have the legendary ad man, David Ogilvy. And today, Ogilvy is... Wait, do my eyes deceive me? No, ladies and gentlemen. David Ogilvy has rocked up to this fight in a giant clown suit. Well, I have seen stranger things. And perhaps it's appropriate because the title of today's fight is Should You Use Humor to Sell? Ding, ding! Let's get this cage match started. The first blow is as swift as it is brutal. People don't buy from clowns, snarls Hopkins <laughs> with a right hook to Ogilvy's clown-masked head. And so on from there, we've got a bit of a brutal brawl between them as they trade their arguments. That's way, way, way weirder than just saying, here's what Ogilvy said, here's what Hopkins said. But people love it, and copywriters especially. Yeah, let me ask you a personal question about writing that, if you don't mind. Yeah. Was it scary at first? Did you think, oh shit, I can't do this? I don't know when the first time I did one of these fight scenes was or if I felt that, but 
maybe it's just this perverse part of me too many video games as a kid or something like that but it just it felt funny to me my litmus test has always been if i'm laughing while i write the email it's great and the best emails the ones that do the best are the ones where i was just giggling like a little kid as i typed it up and that was one of them I just, it was so ridiculous and there are people who hate it there are people who are like this is stupid this is unprofessional this is violent or whatever but you can't be everything to everyone no i think it's great and um i'm not even a big fan of cage fighting all right so <laughs> let's go you, you, i think one of your tips that you said you wanted to talk about is to let people into your life i mean even before we got in the show you were talking about your children and they're young right yes i have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and i gave my wife very clear instructions i was like this podcast do not let them knock on the door they usually banging on the door trying to get in when I do interviews with people. I'm like, not today. <laughs> Did you ever see that thing? I think it was like on Bloomberg TV or The Economist TV where this guy's talking and this yes, kid's yes, rolling I in and the nanny's freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> dives, anyway. dives in to grab him, yes. It's kind of like that sometimes here. When I'm on podcasts like this, they burst in and my wife's like, get out of it. She freaks out. Yeah, absolutely. But how do you do this in your emails? What do you talk about and how do you use it? Yeah, well, I, I have a rule which I teach people, a rule that I use myself and I tell people that someone should know me better after every email I send. So I never send an email that is just the facts or just a tip or just the point. There will always be a joke or an opinion, the more controversial, the better, or a personal story that I put in there. That's the rule. And I kind of like to break that copywriting rule of get to the point as quickly as possible. I will put in leads that are totally irrelevant to the copywriting tip that I end up giving. And while I don't think that strengthens an individual email, on, on the long term, it works. So there's one email, for example, that I sent on my anniversary last year. And I'll just, I'll read the lead to you. It's about 150 words. It has yeah. nothing to do with copywriting, right? So it says, today is my sixth wedding anniversary, so I'm taking a day off writing copywriting tips. Instead, I bundled the kids off to my parents' house, and I booked Haley and myself in for a surprise night at the Crown Towers, one of Perth swankiest hotels. In fact, this is the view as I write this right now. There's a picture of champagne in a, in a window. Yes, I know sharing pictures of your laptop next to champagne in a nice hotel room qualifies you as literally one of the worst people on the internet. So let me redeem myself by saying this is not normal for me. It's not my copywriting life, and I did not feel good when I booked this room. When I saw how much I was going to pay, I actually felt a little ill. It's just that this was a big year for my business. Both Haley and I made a lot of sacrifices, and the time I spent growing it took a direct toll on her many times. So just for one night, I decided to reinvest some of the profits from this year into my most important asset, my marriage. Very sappy, very personal. And I don't think I gave much copywriting value in that email at all. So, and I want to point out, I'm not saying this email did $10,000 in sales. In fact, I don't think I sold anything in that email. But the compounded effect of doing things like that over the long term is it really does feel like there are people on my list who will say it's like, it's like you're my friend. Like, I just know who you are. And those people make fantastic customers. So the people who responded well to that email didn't buy from that email, but they did buy in several sales later on. And that's the important point. I'm separating the bonding from the selling process. So they're not just in one email, but the net effect is certainly there. They are happening together. It's just over a longer period of time. 
So you're a friend who also happens to sell stuff as opposed to the other formula is if you become my friend, you first, you have to buy from me, right? A little different. <laughs> well, here's, here's the thing. It's kind of a bonus tip I use is that humor can disarm anyone to anything. So even the most blatant sales, I'm very funny. I'll say, I'm going to sell you so hard, you are not even going to believe. It's like, you won't even believe how much I'm going to sell to you in the upcoming emails. And that is being so salesy, right? But it's funny. And it, so it disarms people to that. So humor is a very clever way of lowering people's guard to that kind of thing. I don't know if that's manipulative or just clever or funny, but I do it and it's very effective. It works. You send a lot of emails, right? One every day and during promotions, like I've done up to eight in a day. Wow. Could you talk about not only how it works, obviously you wouldn't do it if it didn't work, but what are you talking about every day? Well, I found that riffing on what we just said, you know, people know that sending more emails make more money. That's not contested. But most people do it by saying seven hours left, five hours left, three hours left, and not much else. It's just a reminder that annoys the heck out of people. So what I wanted to do every, when I've done this, I will try and give the emails sort of a theme or at least make each one really funny that you'd want to read it anyway. And so one of the things I did last year, which proved so effective for me, was I took a theme of here's how several different copywriters would end this sale today. And I wrote five or six different emails in as different copywriters. So I did uh, Ben Settle. I did John Carlton. I did Stefan Georgi. I did Joanna Weeb from Copy Hackers. And I even did the, the subreddit uh, copywriting. And I have a kind of a, a feud with that sub. They, they banned me from being mentioned there. Uh, so I parodied them. But each one was basically talking about the sales pitch I was making that day as if all these other distinctive copywriters were doing it. And the result of that, it just went through the roof. I, I think I, I did the best in that performance, like by subscriber, like five, better, five times better than anyone else who was in it. So wow. it was ridiculously successful. If you want, I can read a, one of, a part of the email I sent as John Carlton. For example. Oh, yeah. Oh, that'd be great fun. Yeah. And I, I want to be clear. I love John Carlton. He is one of my heroes. So this was done with all, um, all the greatest respect for him. So I think that the lead of this one was this is the eyebrow copy. Could his training be the thing that propels you to the copywriting A-list? And I had this big red headline for just 10 more hours, get the copywriting secrets of the world's most satisfied, most well-paid and most respected copywriters. John's got a headline like that. Get $7,364 worth of balls to the wall training from six of copywriting's hottest experts for a fraction of the cost without risking a penny. Best part, you can try it for free if you choose. And I wrote basically a whole John Carlton style sales letter. Uh, and that was my favorite one of the day, actually. I, I wish I could had time to read more, but it, it's, it was very funny. And a lot of people were buying and emailing saying, this is the greatest promotion I've ever seen. So, I mean, that's the holy grail for me, right? They're buying yeah. and they're saying the marketing was fantastic. Normally, copywriters say you don't want them to even notice the marketing because usually if they're praising, they're not buying. But they were buying and praising. So, to me, you that's as good as it gets. Both worlds, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, we are running close to the edge of time here. Where can, and we're going to put this in the show notes, but how can people 
get your parallel welcome sequence if they're not already and see what you're doing every day. What where where's the yeah. link? If you go to persuasivepage.com, uh, that is my homepage, and there's you can't miss the opt-in boxes because there's six of them. It's very, very blatant. Uh, so you go there and you will get the parallel welcome sequence. You can read more about it or you can just sign up and have a look for yourself. Buckle yourself in and uh, plan to not sleep a lot. Hopefully, if you're one of the super fans. That sounds good. Nathan, uh, do you have any questions that have been bubbling up? I have no questions. I just think this was a fantastic interview and I was taking notes the whole time. So Daniel, thank you for coming on, sharing your knowledge with people. And one more time, where can people go if they want to sign up and see some of the stuff that you're doing in action? That's persuasivepage.com where you just Google Daniel Thrussell. It'll pop up. Awesome. And if you want to check out more episodes of this podcast, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. David, anything else before we're out of here? No, I just I just want to thank both of you guys for making this happen because it's still probably it's about four in the morning for Daniel or something like that. And Nathan, I know we had to rejigger your schedule too. So thanks, everybody. Oh, man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Daniel, thank you again for coming on. And until next time, we will catch you later. See you later. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.